Okay, welcome everybody. We are um, in chapter four and we are cruising right along. What we're in, I'm just gonna give you a quick reminder and then we'll set our intention and then we'll um, start class. So what we're, we went, remember we spent a lot of time talking about fasting. We put that aside. We're now back to talking about what the crux of this book is, is how to return to Hashem when we need to, right? And so we're back to talking about that. And we started off by talking about the, the tetragrammaton name of Hashem, the Yud, the Hey, the Vav, and the Hey. I have it written down here from last couple classes. Remember that? Um, and we are, and we talked about that there's two levels of chuva, the lower chuva and the higher chuva. And we talked about, um, how there's different ways that Hashem cleanses our sin. And then there's some extreme scenarios, right? We talked about kares, which is death before um 50 and then death uh, then then um uh what was the other one kares or death by the agency of heaven which was death by the age of 60 right and talking about that those those things don't really happen anymore and uh, what happens when we see people who we know have transgressed the sins that deserve those consequences but we see them living very happy and successful lives and then we went on to say in order for us to understand how all of this works we need to understand the origin of the soul, right? The soul's root. And any of us who have been along the Tanya journey know some of this, right? We refer back to the, the root of the soul being from, is a piece of God, but we add a new element to it that's never really discussed in the first book of the Tanya. And that is the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He. Our soul literally is a piece of that name of God. And we are in middle of discussing what is special about that name of God. That's where we're at right now. Okay. So um, we, in our, in our Sunday Tanya, in our Bozeman Sunday Tanya class, we have um, discussed and pondered the importance and uh, the benefit of setting an intention, right? So when you do something and you do it by rote or you do it just out of habit, it's great. You do it, you get the credit for it, but how much more so when you do it with intention, right? And in Tanya, if you were with me, when we did the first book of Tanya, we talked about this and I think it's in the late, in the forties, in the forties chapter, we talked about good deeds, doing mitzvahs, right? You, you create a dwelling place for Hashem when you do a mitzvah full stop, right? When you do a mitzvah, you create a dwelling place for Hashem. The question is, what kind of dwelling place, right? The more intention and the more focused you are when you do a mitzvah, the more beautiful, warm, light the house is, right? Why am I bringing this up? Is because we decided we're going to um, set our intention before we start Tanya class. Cause we're all here studying Tanya for an hour, right? We're setting our time. It's a big deal. We're setting an hour to study 
And we get a ton of credit for that. But how much more so if we set the intention before class and we recognize that when we are learning during this hour, we are connecting with God, the most potent, pure form of God. Because Torah and mitzvahs come from the part of God before it went through constriction, before it was concealed. So when we study, we are directly connecting with the part of God. I have all my, my little scribbles here. That's way before the world came to be. Okay? So have that in mind. Think about that. Be intentional about that when, while we're studying Torah, that this is what we're doing. We're literally connecting to the pr most precious part of Hashem. So you can close your eyes for a second. Sit with it for, take a deep breath. Excellent. Now we can start. Okay. So we started off, we are in quite in middle of a conversation from last week. And we started talking about the difference between blowing and speaking. Does this ring a bell? Yeah. Okay. So what, so what does it say? The verse says, God blew into his nostrils the breath of life. What does that mean? That Hashem created humans with his breath. Why is that significant? Because in contrast to the rest of the world, the rest of the world and the rest of creation was created through speech, right? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. It was created through speech. Now, um, why? what's significant about that is that when you blow, when you use that breath, right? And I always give the same example. Like when you blow balloons, right? You can't, if you have kids who like, and they bring you a bunch of balloons to blow you, you or, right? Or you're blowing up an inflatable beach ball, right? Like it takes a lot of energy. You get tired faster because it's coming from your insides, your, your kishkas, you know? But when you speak, you have a lot more, like you can speak for a lot longer than you can blow. So what does that show us? That blowing is a much more um, inner, it takes, it, it's a lot more, um, I'm missing my words. Um, it comes from the inner part of you. It's, it's not surface level, it's not superficial, right? So um, while obviously we, we always, the Tanya always reminds us that obviously God doesn't actually physically blow, he doesn't physically speak, but we use these terms so we can understand in our finite brains, right? That um, this is important because what we're saying is that our soul is coming from an inner part of Hashem right? A much deeper part of Hashem versus the world and any other creation that's coming from a more surface level of Hashem through speech. Now, why do, why does the world have to be through speech? Because speech, if you remember, we spoke about this, I don't remember when, but we did speak about it, that speech is um, interesting because it, it reveals and conceals at the same time, right? Speech reveals our thoughts, right? but it also conceals our thoughts, right? Like you don't, you, it's, it's revealing, but it also, you don't, it doesn't reveal everything, right? It, it, it can be revealing and concealing at the same time. So the world, because 
it's more superficial because it's a world that conceals God, right? We don't always see God in this world. It just depends on how we choose to live. Then it had to come from a more superficial part of God because if it came from the innermost part of God, then it would be very hard for God to hide, right? Because it would be much more from his, his insides, right? And the other surprising aspect is that angels were also created with speech. Now you could think, right? Angels are angels, right? Angels sometimes are, is, are portrayed as holier than people. And because you guys are Tanya, you know, fluent, you know that really angels, they outwardly are holier, right? Because they don't have free choice and they're always godly and they always follow God's will. But in essence, that makes it less holy because they don't have a choice. So when humans in this world choose God, then we're much holier than angels. And so angels um, are from the more external flow of Hashem. And that external level comes from the name of God, Elohim. You're all familiar with that name, right? Elohim. So Elohim is a more superficial name of God. Obviously, it's not superficial. It's just less depth. And Elohim is used a lot for judgment, right? On judgment day, or when God is being more strict or more, you know, less giving, less like that. That's when we use the word Elohim. So um, angels come from that more surface energy from Hashem. And humans, the soul is rooted in the most sacred name of Hashem, the Havaya, the yod Hey, the vav Hey, And um, that is on the path. The reason why we're discussing this is because it's very important for us to know our soul's origin and where it comes from. Why? Because if we need to return, right? If when we transgress or we sin or we veer off the path or we don't do something we should, right? We need to know where are we returning our soul to, right? If we, if we don't know where our soul originates from and where it comes from, you can't really return, right? You're, you'd be lost in how to get back to that spot. Just like, you know, if you return a package, right? You get a package in the mail. How many times have you gotten a package as a gift and you don't, it doesn't speak to you and you're like, well, where do I even return this to, right? Most of the time you can't, you don't know where it came from. But in order for you to return something, you need to know where it comes from because that is what's going to determine how you get back there, right? How do you return your precious soul to its source? And the source is the innermost part of Hashem. Your soul is coming from Havaya, the name of Hashem that expresses who Hashem is, not in his judgment phase, not in any other characteristic of God. It is God himself. And again, we know this because we've repeated it over and over and over again, but I I think it's never said enough. 
our soul is a piece of God. Like as much as we know it, but when we actually think about it, that's a very, very powerful thing to, to recognize and think about and really connect with the fact that our soul is a piece of, of Hashem. So when we stray and are we going to, we are going to, right? It's not optional, right? We are not a tzaddik. We are not trying to be tzaddikim. We are down here in this world with two souls with that one opposing things. We're in constant battle. Sometimes we win and sometimes we don't. If Hashem didn't expect us to sin, what would happen? He wouldn't give us the path of tshuva. If he expected us to be perfect, right? If there was no such thing as making a mistake, there would be no option of return. The, in the message of tshuva itself is where we know that, of course, we're going to mess up. Of course, we're going to, to need this, you know, this process or else it wouldn't be an option. Okay, so that's important to keep in mind. Sometimes, you know, when we talk about sinning, we... We feel, we could feel shame. We could feel, you know, like, what's the point, right? Well, why should I even try? And I'm here and the Tanya is here to remind you and to tell you, we're all, we're all there. We all do it, right? The question is, are you going to take the time to reconnect? And, and, and like we keep saying every single class is that it's never, it's never not an option to reconnect. And remember what we said last class. If you have, even if you have in mind to sin, right? And then return after, even if you like, okay, I'm going to sin, but now I, I know the process of tshuva. I know what I have to do. So I'll sin and then I'll return. Does that work? It's, it's, it's not going to work really well. What does the Tanya say? The Gemara says, no, you, you, you have no path of return. But then the altar says it can't be because it, we literally know that there's no such thing as not being able to return. So what it means is that Hashem is very much a partner in our process of return. If he sees us authentically trying to return to him, he sometimes fills in those blanks that we don't always get to. And he makes it easy for us. But if you sin with the intention of returning, you lose Hashem's support. And it doesn't mean you can't return, but it means it's going to be a whole lot harder. So don't put yourself in that position. If you sin because it's the circumstances and you didn't, couldn't muster enough control and you just failed, that's one thing. But if you go and intentionally decide that I'm going to eat this cheeseburger because I now know that I have a process of return, that return is going to be very difficult. Not, not, a, not a good plan, right? Okay. So now we are moving on to a, the new, a section three in chapter four. And this to me is a very fun section. It's going to take us a couple of weeks probably, but it is um, digging more into the name of Havaya, the tetragrammata name of Hashem, the Yod, the He, and the Vav, and the He. Okay. And we are going to decode the meaning of the four letters of this name of Hashem. And we're actually going to explore and understand how the 10 
um, spheros, the 10 adornments, they're called in this chapter, but the 10 powers, right? We've talked about it many times in the first book of Tanya, how all of those are alluded to in the, this four letter name of Hashem. So this is to me very fascinating and fun. And we're gonna, we're gonna go into depth into that and you know, for this next couple of sections. So where are we? I'm gonna quote you a verse that the basis of all this information comes from. Okay. So we want to understand how the soul in its root is connected with the name of Havaya. Why? Because we just said that our soul comes from that four-letter name, right? Our soul comes from the innermost part of Hashem, that, which is represented by this name of Hashem, of Havaya, right? What do we know about our soul? It's made up of what? The 10 powers, right? The three intellectual powers and the seven emotional powers. We know that from the first chapter of Tanya. We know that that's how our soul expresses itself. So we're going to understand how all these 10 powers are really come from this four-letter name of Hashem, which proves that our soul is part of Hashem, right? So it's esoteric. It's a little deep, but it's, it is always practical in nature. Like we have a reason why we're going into this, okay? So there's a quote from Elijah, Okay, El Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, and it goes like this. I'm gonna read it in English. It is you who produced 10 adornments. We call them the 10 spheros to conduct hidden worlds. You are wise, but not with a known wisdom, Chachma. You understand, but not with a known understanding, Bina, right? So we're gonna explain this is a pro the primary source and text for the 10 spheros. So, sorry, go ahead. Can you repeat the- Repeat it? I was trying to sure. type it, but I couldn't type fast enough. Absolutely. And by the way, if you have the set, it's uh, in this book, it's page 69. If it is you who produced 10 adornments, we call them the 10 spheros to conduct hidden worlds. You are wise, but not with the known wisdom, which, which is describing what Chachma is. And you understand, but not with a known understanding, Bina. Okay, so this is, the, this is, by the way, the source of the 10 spheros in general. This is where we know that where the 10 spheros come from, from this source. Whenever we talk about the 10 spheros, it's because we are taking it from this quote. Now, before we even get into understanding how it's represented by the name, and we're gonna go into it into a lot of depth, let's go through the 10 spheros, remind ourselves what they are. And by the way, this is the first time um, we really go into it in depth with the text. In the first chapter of Tanya, it really doesn't, it really goes over it very quickly. So what do we have? We have three intellectual soul powers, right? The mothers, remember they're called the mothers, why? Where? Because where do our emotions come from? Our thoughts, right? Our, our emotions come from our thoughts. What we think about is what we end up caring about. I've drilled that into you for many times, right? So we have Chachma, which is translated as inquiry, 
or wisdom. We have Bina, which is cognition or understanding. We have Da'as, which is recognition, knowledge. Okay, the, the Tanya translated as inquiry, cognition, and recognition. I wanted to do wisdom, understanding, knowledge, because that's the more known terms, especially when we talk about Chabad, right? Chachma binadas, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. So we have inquiry, cognition, recognition. Then we have seven emotional attributes, okay? This is what, does the Tanya, the Tanya has never really translated these for us before. So we have chesed, which is love, kindness, giving, okay? We have gavura, which is power, judgment, discipline, fear, right? All those fall into the category of gavura. We have teferas, which is beauty, compassion, harmony, truth. It's ringing a bell. Um, we have netzach. So we, 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 we know a lot about chesed, gavura, teferas, right? We talk a lot about chachma binadas, chesed, gavura, teferas. Well, now we're going to go a little further. We have Netzach, which is endurance. We have Hod, which is splendor and gratitude. We have Yesod, which is connection, foundation. And we have Malchus, which is control and manifestation. Okay, you're with me? Sometimes... The list of 10 spheros also include the transcendent energy of Kesser, which is crown, which is will, right? Um, but not all of the, that's more um, elusive and not always um, tangible. So like how your will, you know, your, your desire, your will. So sometimes Kesser, you'll find charts that have Kesser, which is on top. And then it goes through the, the other 10 spheros, okay? So these spheros, are you okay with me using the word sphera? In this context, we understand what we're talking about. Okay, so these spheros are not separate entities from Hashem. They're not separate creations. They are emanations or energies that are bound to its source. So what's a good example of that? It's like a flame that's in the burning coal. You know, when you see a coal that's burning and you can see the fire in the coal, but it's still part of the coal. That's what these spheros, these emanations are to Hashem. They are emanations. They are um, energies, but they remain part of its source. It's pretty fascinating, no? Um, and so these, all these 10 spheros are represented in the letters of Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, okay? And they're also hinted to in the shape of the letters. And we're going to talk about it, okay? So I'm, I'm, was it this class that we talked about the Kabbalah of the Hebrew letters, or it was our other Tanya class. I don't remember. I always get confused. Um, but there is 
something there is something very very profound and beautiful about just the energies of the letter of the aleph base it's obviously everything in in you know, judaism is intentional so even the letters and the way they're shaped teach us and 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 um and uh, uh give out energy so we're going to understand how all those 10 spheros are alluded to in the letters of Hashem's name and alluded to by the shape of these letters. And it's important, why? Because our soul reflects these 10 emanations of God, right? God has these 10 powers, these 10 emanations. Our soul is an exact reflection of Hashem. So we have those 10 powers and those 10 energies. For us, they're actually practical and they're, and they're the, the way our, our soul expresses itself. For God, they are more, in, you know, elusive, but our soul has these, are, is made up of these 10 powers. So by understanding how they come from the name of God just brings home more and more intensely how our soul is really all intertwined with Hashem. Okay, so how how are we supposed to to accept and believe that ten energies are being represented in four letters? Okay, like that seems like a stretch. Ten energies were rep being represented by four letters, and by the way, two of these letters are the same. <laughs> um, there's two A's in here. So the rest of this section is where we're going to devote to explaining this code right in detail it's like a code right now you know how we sometimes talk about like Hasidus being like the inner workings the secrets of the Torah like this is an example of that right this is code like if you're just learning Hashem's name or you're just opening up you know the Torah the five books of Moses and you're just you're never going to get to this deeper part of the Torah and then what happens when you now know every time you read Hashem, Havaya, in davening, or you read it in the Torah, what are you going to think about every time? First of all, you're going to think about a lot of things. You might not be able to think about all the things every time you, you hear that word, but you're going to think about probably, oh, my soul comes from that name. Oh, secondly, wow, like this name, this four-letter name packs a big punch, right? It, it holds a lot of information in this name, and all of a sudden, it's going to hold a lot more meaning in your, in, in just knowing, right? So the secrets of the Torah are, you know, intellectually stimulating, but also really powerful in our mundane lives. That was a digression. Now, okay. Um, so these spheros are both found in the divine, right? In Hashem and in our human soul, right? And when we identify the human experience that's associated with any of these 10 powers, it helps us imagine how that energy manifests for Hashem. So by understanding our own energies and by understanding, oh, what does it mean to access the attribute of kindness? What does it mean? What does it look like when we, when we access the attribute of of fear? What does it look like when we access the attribute of gratitude, of endurance, right? Of foundation, right? All these things. It, so obviously we are not the same as Hashem, but it gives us a, an in, a better understanding of what it looks like when Hashem uses these attributes, by understanding how we, how we access them, how we use them, 
helps us understand Hashem a little bit more. Um, okay, so the first letter of, see, I was very, I thought about my office very intentionally to have a, my, these cabinets be a whiteboard too. But what I didn't realize is that it's too far and it doesn't show up enough. So it didn't really pan out. My intention was good. So now I write things on papers and I show you. <laughs> um, but the first letter of the tetragrammaton is Yud. I'm going to draw it for you. But my drawing is not great. It doesn't really look like a Yud. Yikes. Let me try again. Okay. You want to see in the book, it draws it for you in the book. Okay, that's like a, that's a yod that we're going to be talking about. Okay, so the first letter is yod, which um, is really the smallest letter. Okay, um, it's the smallest letter and it barely really shows up. The reason why we even um, give it a form is because it needs to have a form, but it really has this, the smallest form possible. It's really just a little point, okay? And the Yud represents Chachma, okay? Which Chachma starts at a totally concealed state and then slowly as it's developed, starts to have shape and form, right? as it goes through that intellectual process. So if you remember, I don't, not all of you were, were with me in the, when we did the first book of Tanya, but if you remember in chapter three, way, way back in chapter three, we talked about Chachma quite a bit. And we, what did we learn about Chachma? Chachma is the beginning of the intellectual process, okay? The moment you have an inspirational idea, or this, a new concept pops into your head, right? I call it the light bulb moment, right? The second you have a flash of inspiration, um, that's Chachma, that initial experience of thought that's undeveloped, right? You have an idea, but that's it. It's just an idea. It's that flash of inspiration. It doesn't have any shape or form. You don't, you couldn't really give it over. You couldn't really tell someone the idea yet. It's too abstract. Okay, that's Chachma. Okay, in the divine realm, that corresponds to the first, like the first start and, and like the emergence of energy, which powers everything that follows. Okay, so the first bit of energy. So this is represented by the Yud, the first letter of the Tetragrammaton. And the reason why the Yud is so small and like relatively shapeless compared to all the other letters is because it's undeveloped, right? Just like Chachma's under, undeveloped, the Yud is kind of undeveloped. When you see a Yud in, in the Torah or even in, um, I'm gonna circle a Yud in the text for you so you can see comparatively um, to other letters how really small it is. I'm going to circle it right here. So here, this is a Hebrew word, right? That second letter is a yud. You see how tiny it is compared to the other letters? 
It's because really it's, it's, it's an undeveloped thought. It's a flash of inspiration. It's the start of energy. So you obviously, Chachma is very powerful. You obviously need Chachma to get things started. But if you just leave it at Chachma, you're not going to get very far, right? You're, you're going to have a lot of these undeveloped ideas. We all know people, sometimes we are those people, right? That have a lot of ideas and they never go anywhere, right? Oh, this and oh, that and oh, this. and Or, or they have ideas but they have a hard time putting it down on paper or, or you know, actually taking it somewhere. That's because it's, it's a chachma that's not being developed. It's stuck at its initial stages, okay? So um, the reason why chachma still does have a shape though, there's still some energy to it because it is the bridge between formless and form. Formless is like really nothing and form is a developed idea. The bridge between something and nothing, basically, is chachma. So it has a form, it has a shape, but it's underdeveloped, okay? Um, and the energy that's below chachma, what comes after chachma, is a much more developed energy. And the thing that's before chachma has no form at all, right? It's just, it's not tangible whatsoever. Um, so then we have this little thorn it's called this little like little like little crown this little thorn on top of the yud um that is remember we talked about that um that kesser right that crown so that is that hints to this divine will which transcends Chachma, okay? So the, the thing that is even above Chachma is that will, that Kesser, right? First there's, a, first, there's a will. Wills are usually intangible, right? Our desires, our innermost things that make us tick, those are really untangible. So we have that little Kesser, that little thorn, which then develops into Chachma, right? Which is the Yud, right? And then we progress further. We'll, and we'll get there, okay? So what I, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that, that thorn. Basically, um, it's even less, even has less form than the body of the yod itself, right? It's a teeny tiny dot. Um, it's very thin. It's tiny and thin. And it, it's, it's like almost if you would think about it like a little arrow, it like points to something that's up there, but not really telling us what it is, right? It's that little like, by the way, there's something above Chachma. It's a little tiny line and it's, a, it's, it's reminiscent and it's showing us that there's something above that, but with very, it's very subtle, okay? And so what it, so if the thorn were to be saying something, this is what it would say, and I'll quote. It would say, what I represent is too subtle to be depicted visually by a letter, so I'm just pointing to something outside and beyond. Yeah? So it's basic, I'll say it again, I'll quote it again. What I represent is too subtle to be depicted by a letter, can't be depicted by a full letter, doesn't get a full letter, 
Um, so I'm just pointing to something outside and beyond. So what is this alluding to? It's alluding to the transcendent quality of, of will, which drives all our activities, mental, emotional, and practical. But it, you can't really um, associate it with a certain organ or place in our body, right? This is very, very fascinating. It's the will that drive what's dri what drives what we do. It's behind our actions, behind our thoughts, behind our feelings, right? It's the thing that drives us. Could you say you know in your body where that thing that drives us is? Like, do you know that it has a spot? It's too elusive for that. It's all of us, right? It, it's nowhere and everywhere at the same time, right? So that's what will is. Will is the thing that's behind everything that we do, say, or think. Um, so that's in human realm, right? In the divine realm, what does this represent? This represents the energies that transcend Chachma. So it would represent the will that drove Hashem to create the world, right? What's behind the creation, what's behind all of everything that's a form, people, creations, is God had a, what do we say all the time? God had a desire. He had a desire to have a dwelling place here in this world. Very elusive, can't really pinpoint it. We don't really have a spot for it, but it's there. It's the will behind everything else. So behind the action of creation behind the action of energetic form is the will. Okay, any questions about Chachma or the letter Yud? No? <laughs> We're good? Okay, so what happens after Chachma? After Chachma, um, we have the mental process of Bina. Okay, what's Bina? Understanding, cognition, right? And that's represented by the second letter in the Tetragrammaton, which is He. And it's hinted to also by its shape. Okay, so firstly, He in its shape also hints to Bina because it is a fully developed letter, right? We have hey. That is way, takes up a lot more space and way more developed than that tiny little yud, right? So um, that this represents the outward expression of a concept, right? As this thought becomes clarified and understood, becomes more developed, you understand it more. It has more shape, it has more form, right? You start to be, it starts to be tangible. You can start talking about it, you can start discussing it, becomes a, a developed idea, right? So Chachma is that, that flash of intellect, right? And it needs, it actually is looking and seeking for articulation, right? It needs assistance to be completely developed. 
right? So it needs that different energy. The faculty of Bina is cognition, represented by hay. So spatially, spatially hay is everything that the yud lacks, right? It's fully formed in both dimension and width and height, right? It has dimension, width, height. It's so it's so much more present than the yud, right? And that represents this ability to really flesh out an idea, to explore, to think about, to, to develop, to make the flash of inspiration an actual developed idea, okay? So Bina absorbs the spark of Chachma, shapes it, refines it, systemizes it, organizes it, characterizes it, right? And, um, and, it, and that is what you call a developed idea, okay? I'm actually going to um, spend a little bit more time on Bina. We don't have that much time left, but I want to, um, I found very fascinating in a different Tanya um, resource, the, to really um, flesh out the dimensions of Bina. So first of all, we, if you remember from our first Tanya class that what Bina's also um, compared to the womb, right? Why? Because it's a gestational period, right? We have the Chachma, which is um, inception, right? And then we have Bina where the fetus develops and grows and incubates. And right, so Bina is this, indicative of this intellectual process of a womb, right? You can ruminate, you can think about, you can develop, it takes time, you can, it grows, right? So that's another characteristic of Bina. But I read this interesting excerpt from the Steinsaltz, um Tanya, and he has, it's a footnote. So this is not from the actual text, but it's delving into this concept of Bina a little bit more. And I thought it was really fascinating. So. And then that's probably where we'll stop for today. Bina has three dimensions, okay? So this idea of Bina, which is cognition, has three dimensions, depth, breadth, and length, okay? When you understand something in depth, what does it entail? It entails grasping the root of the issue, right? Its source, its origin, and its cause, right? So when a person is said, when you can refer to someone and, and they say, we've all said this about someone, right? They have a deep grasp of the issue, right? When someone has a deep grasp of the issue of any given topic, what does that mean? It means he understands the roots and the reasons underlying the subject matter. Makes sense, right? So that's depth. A breadth of understanding entails the ability to expand the idea, so the, this point of comprehension, um, to many different areas of knowledge. So you take this idea and you're able to expound on it and compare it and use it to other parts of your knowledge, right? Um, it's the ability, oh, okay, so that's that's breadth, okay? So to be able to 
really expound on the idea and apply it to different parts of your knowledge. The length refers to the ability to communicate an idea in a more basic manner. So what does that mean? It means to bring it down to a lower level so anyone can understand it, okay? So we have the depth, right? Really understanding the root of the issue, the, the, the origin, the cause, right? That's understanding the depth of the knowledge. You have the breadth, which is really able to expound and to understand it and to apply it to other situations. And then you have the length, which is where you can consolidate and you can give over in a way that everybody can understand. Three parts of cognition, okay? So each of these dimensions really require an expertise of its own, right? Some people develop only one of these faculties to its fullest, right? Um, and while, and while the other parts of Bina remain undeveloped, right? So we all, we all know people like that, right? Or you can even apply it to yourself. You could, we know, we know somebody who's really smart and really brilliant and understands the depth of the topic, but cannot talk, cannot tell you about it, right? Cannot give it over in layman's terms, right? And we know people, we all know people that are really great at, um, applying knowledge, um, being practical, right? Like taking what they know and applying it to other things. Maybe they don't know and grasp the full extent of it and maybe they can't really give it over, but they're diverse in using the knowledge. And then we have people who are great at giving over things, maybe not as great in breadth. Usually I would say if someone's great at giving over something, they really understand the depth of it or else it would be very hard to give it over properly. So some you have to have a little bit of overlap, but there are people who really excel in one of these points, right? Then there are people, there are those who, um, <laughs> this is an example of, of not having all of them. There are people who, um, as an example he gives, there are people who think deeply into things this is amazing, by the way, who think deeply into things yet fail to see the broader context. I mean, I feel like that's our world nowadays, right? Like we think, we analyze, we think deeply about one issue and we fail to uh, realize that the broader context or applying it to in practicality or understanding ramifications or or bigger picture or not, not everything's black and white, right? Like I, I feel like, I see that a lot these days, right? So someone like this can understand the root of the matter, but he doesn't understand the application of the idea in other areas and situations, right? And he's not able to follow its natural conclusions. Okay, I have a really big desire to bring a political example. I think I'm gonna do it. We can handle it, right? Can we handle it? We can handle it. We'll find out. <laughs> Rob is like, maybe. Um, what I want to say, and okay, oh God, the problem is that this is recorded. So I am making a disclaimer, right? This is an example. It does not reflect, you know what it says? This does not reflect the idea of the, the thought of the whatever. This is a good example, okay? Take abortion, for example. When the world says, 
no abortion, black and white, you fail to apply these concepts in particular situations, right? You have an idea, you maybe understand the root cause of this idea, maybe it's, it's maybe even valid, but when you fail to, uh, to have a black and white ruling and you fail to see bigger picture where sometimes maybe, you know, saving the life of a mother or medical or all those reasons and, and it's black and white, I feel like that's um, a, a, uh, an example of taking a concept and not really able to follow through its natural conclusions, right? Um, okay, am I safe? <laughs> uh, makes sense. Um, so that is, I think, what we, what we suffer from today, right? We have blinders on. We understand the idea. We maybe even, and it's valid, right? There's really good reasons for, for having these thoughts. But then when we fail to apply the thoughts and then we we don't we 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 come away with with rigid black and white thinking that is not our that's our brain not being flexible our brain not really having the ability to um actually understand the concepts even as deep as you should right because if you can really apply the idea you're able to be nuanced about it anyway Good example, but not perfect, but good. Okay, um, so then we have others who um, naturally grasp the details and ramifications of a particular subject, but cannot grasp the underlying issue behind the underlying reason behind the issue. Right? That's equally not great. Right? If you can apply, right, but you don't really understand why, chances are you're gonna you know, run into some issues, right? Um, but it has its strength, right? This type of person can categorize, he can compile facts. Um, you know what it's, an, I feel like it's an example of is um, statistics, right? Like you can really organize thoughts, you can come up with patterns and ideas and concepts, but not really is it important to know why or what's the root of it, right? It's more just, factual based. Okay. And then there are those who are really good at transmitting concepts and their application um, and their applications, but lack some knowledge. You can have a good teacher, right? Who's able to give over what they know, right? Who they know things, they give it over, but they don't necessarily know a lot right? They don't know, they're not, they don't have a wide range of knowledge. They just are able, they are talented at giving over what they know, okay? So this is the people who are um, great at explaining and teaching, okay? Um, that's where the, the length of Bina is developed in these types of people, right? They excel in the art of drawing down the wisdom from from above to below and reducing complex ideas to simple explanations, okay? So all of these aspects are not mutually exclusive, right? Um, on the contrary, the more well-rounded a person's intellectual capacities, 
the more he develops an aspect of each dimension, okay? So what we said before, generally, when a person thoroughly understands both the depth and the breadth of an issue, right? And he has the ability to explain it, right? And the ability to hone in on the essential points to give over. Um, and he can have the insight to transfer this knowledge into other fields of understanding, right? That is a well-rounded, knowledgeable, smart, Bina type person, okay? Who was the smartest person in the world ever to live? Solomon? Yeah, King Solomon, right? He, um, the, the verse says about King Solomon that he spoke 3,000 proverbs, okay? It doesn't mean that he articulated 3,000 different proverbs, but it doesn't mean he just said 3,000 proverbs. It means that he provided 3,000 proverbs to explain a single lesson, different metaphors. And each metaphor conveyed the same point in a different way and added different layers. And so it would reach different people, right? Because you know how some, we, sometimes we give multiple examples of an idea and some, some gravitate towards one over the others that like one of them clicks is like, oh, that makes sense to me. And for another person, it's a different one. King Solomon had myriads and myriads and myriads of examples for one concept because he understood each and every layer of the concept and was able to give it over. So any person who was learning from him understood, right? So he um, was the wisest of all men, of all men, and he explained all of his knowledge, not only on a high level, but on every level possible, okay? Um, and we give the example that this is like shining a flashlight into a deep well. The stronger the light, the further down it will reach, okay? So um, if the light touches the very bottom, then we know that the source of the light was very strong, right? So if someone is very wise, right, then they can reach the least wise people. <laughs> <laughs> the people who struggle, right? Um, only, and this is a quote, only someone who possess such vast wisdom that even the fools recognize his brilliance. That, that's the person that could be truly the wisest of all men. So it was known that King Solomon, even the fools recognize how smart King Solomon was. Why? Because if you can talk to the fools and they realize how smart you are, that makes you the wisest of all men. So what's the point? The point is that if you are reaching the bottom, if you reach the bottom, the light has to be, the light has to be strong, right? The weaker the light, the less it travels, right? The stronger the light, the farther it travels, right? So when we, we've talked about this before, right? Like professors, right? If professors are in the clouds and, and their students can't understand a word they're saying, yeah, they're smart, but they're not smart enough to teach and reach people who are not as knowledgeable. Because in order to be really, really 
proficient and really understand the depth and the breadth and the length of an idea, you have to really understand it, right? And really be smart. So I just thought that that was a really interesting um, analysis and like deeper understanding of the concept of Bina because we can say, yeah, Bina, understanding, right? We can, um, we can just, we take Chachma, it's what is developed and what we understand from this flash of inspiration and that's Bina, right? But I thought it was interesting to really understand the different parts and what really, and what it takes to really understand an idea. And if we really want to be a well-rounded um, individual that understands things not, and it's just first dimension, it's, we understand the depth, the breadth, and the length. And obviously we're not going to be able to do that on everything. And we all have our limited capacities. But it's to me interesting to when you're learning something to really try to hit upon each of those levels of understanding because they all enhance each other and they all give it um, another dimension and another, you know, depth, right? If we understand things in more than one way and if we can apply it to different situations and we can share it, you know, that's the real assimilation of an idea. Okay, that's where we're going to stop for today. Um, I'm just making sure I didn't miss out anything. I'm going to start right here. Um, okay, so we now, just so we know, we now understand the Yud, which is Chachma, right? The tiny little point. And we understand the He, which is Bina, which is a more developed understanding of the Chachma, which also is represented in how the letter is formed, because it's a more developed letter. Make sense? Okay, any questions? We are going to continue on to, to figure out how all the other attributes fit in as well, um, but not yet. Okay, so let's do a quick meditation, because I did keep you to almost the end of class. Okay, take a deep breath. Exhale, let it all out. We're not gonna do box breathing this time because we don't have enough time, but I do want you to take a couple rounds of a big inhale and a deep exhale, okay? And when you are, um, inhaling and exhaling, have intention, right? Because intention matters. And if we can think about what we're doing when we're exhaling, it will affect our exhale. When we can think about what we should be doing in our inhale, it will affect the power of the inhale, right? So when we inhale, say it every time, you wanna open up yourself, especially your heart center. You wanna be open to receive whatever Hashem has in store for you right? And when you exhale, you want to let go of any thought patterns or narratives that don't serve you. We all have a lot of them. We tell ourselves things, we think things that don't serve us, that don't do well for us. So in your exhale, you're letting that go. You're letting out the toxic stuff. Okay? So for about a minute, we'll do some deep inhales and exhales at your own pace. Inhale. 
and exhale. Okay. So first and foremost, our soul is a piece of God, not just a piece of God, but a piece of God that's represented in the name of Havaya, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. That was imbued in us with breath, right? didn't come about through words, it came about through breath, which indicates the depth of the connection. So our soul is a piece of God that's represented by this, the, the, the most deepest expression of God, okay? We know now that all the 10 emanations of God are represented in this name. So the three intellectual powers and the seven emotional powers are all represented in the name Havaya, in the name Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. Because that's what our soul is made up of, right? What we know so far is that Yud is Chachma. Hey is Bina. Yud is that flash of inspiration, right? It has form, but very little form. And Hey is Bina, which is that developed, thought about, chewed over, applied concept. It's cognition. It's really understanding the depth, the breadth, and the length of the idea. The more we develop those three aspects of Bina, the more well-rounded we'll be. How does this affect your service of Hashem? I didn't spell that out for you. That's for you to think about. How does knowing that our soul is from this majestic name of Hashem affect you. No right or wrong answer. If you don't know yet, that's great. Something to think about. Bring your attention back to your breath. A couple deep inhales, a couple deep exhales. Pay attention to your space, feel grounded. Bring your awareness back to the space that you're in. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. Okay, my friends, any questions, thoughts, comments? arguments.
Thank you. Barbara, you have anything? No? Looks like you're about to say something. Yeah, uh, somebody sent me something um, on Facebook about Einstein. And it, it's like, it, he had, I, I would describe them as Hasidic beliefs very strongly. Yeah, I actually, I actually agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was also into, right, into failure, right? Like the, every time you fail brings you closer to the right answer, right? Like that's a very Hasidic thought too. Yeah. So yeah. And he was pretty smart, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, um, I'm going to see if I can get find this. It. Yeah. If you find it, share it with us. Um, um, I don't know how to send it yeah. from Facebook. Or you could just save it for next class. We're, I'm going to just stop the recording because it's going long. Just give me a second.